Hi, my name is Sean Whelan, and on this podcast, I'll be discussing culturally responsive teaching in mathematics and how it can empower students in their learning and address failures of American education in the past. The first source I want to discuss is D.W. Adams' piece um, about the Native American experience and their time in boarding schools. One of the central figures of this reading was from the viewpoint of a young Native American man who went by the name Plenty Kill, later Luther Standing Bear, and what his experience was after taking the opportunity uh, to join a boarding school when he saw that there was representatives from the school in his town. Plenty Kill saw the opportunity to go to this boarding school in fall of 1879, and uh, he was described as attending uh, for a personal and cultural reason. Uh, he determined that um, he was no longer allowed to be like the his people of the past. Uh, the as he described, the buffalo were gone. Uh, the kind of proud warrior nature that he had grown up to aspire to be was no longer attainable. Um, so he was feeling very low at this point and felt like, well, if I am, uh, the only reason the white man, he, as he states, would, would want him there is, is he was expected to die. Um, so he felt that by attending this boarding school, uh, he was looking forward to somewhat of a warrior's death. Um, that he could represent his people and still be the warrior that he had at one time wanted to be. And I think that says a lot about what his experience going into this was, is that he knew off the bat um, that his culture and the culture of the white man of the European were incompatible. Uh, you know, it's it's disappointing that no one should go to school thinking that they're only there to be used uh, or that they would even, you know, that they're going to be killed or that they would die there. Plenty Kill's experience at the boarding school was very typical for the boarding school experience of the Native American. Their culture was stripped and a sense of conformity was forced on these students. Their hair was cut um, to, you know, to be very short. Their traditional clothing, another sense of identity, was taken from them and they were given uniforms. And they were stripped of their names and given new names. Uh, and part of that reason was, again, to serve the white teachers. Um, they were said that the teachers were put at a disadvantage when they couldn't pronounce their students' names. Uh, it seems almost inconceivable that today you would um, not respect someone's name and uh, just because you can't pronounce it or, or learn to care to pronounce it. Um, you know, you're not going to give your students a new name these days. So these schools existed um, as a matter of, again, stripping culture, stripping identity, and enforcing um, uniformity. The second piece uh, I'm discussing is the Gilbert Gonzalez piece, 
uh, the segregation of Mexican children in a Southern California city. He writes about the ongoing segregation of Mexican students that went on from 1911 to 1947 in Santa Ana. Um, this policy was, as he describes, a result in, from the mindset of Manifest Destiny, that these Mexican people were a conquered people and therefore not subject to the same um, kind of levels of, of equitability or, or treatment as, as the uh, white or European settlers. Um, almost in the same nature as, um, right, they have this in common with the Native Americans and that they were conquered people and therefore, um, in their eyes, did not deserve the same kind of respect or treatment. As the readings describes, these schools were both separate and unequal. They were inferior in both curriculum and facility. This went on again from 1911 until 1947, um, like the reading describes it as being two generations of students that endured this um, treatment. All right, so for the women or for the girls, the curriculum was focused on domestic skills and domestic training, and for boys, it was based on manual labor skills. So in both the cases of the Native American and Mexican, Mexican American, um, they were treated unfairly and put at a disadvantage as a whole through this system. Um, you know, it was an education system of sorts, but it wasn't the one that, you know, the Anglo or white student had access to. Uh, and so I think one response to this um, should be the inclusion of culturally responsive teaching. And so next I'm just going to talk about a few of those approaches and what it can mean in education. So culturally responsive teaching um, is empowering for both teachers and students. It is framing and contextualizing um, you know, your subject content in a way that is engaging and culturally relevant to students and their community. I think this method of teaching can go a long way in addressing issues of the past where culture has been stripped from or, uh, student populations. Um, but as a math-focused uh, student, right, it can be difficult to include um, or at least to frame math instruction in a culturally responsive way. Um, so I looked at three readings from um, authors Omi Unuta Ukpokotu, uh, Emily Bonner, and Jenny Harding DeCam, and they all give guidelines and relevant strategies for including uh, CRT techniques into mathematics classrooms. All the articles were similar in that they're addressing diverse populations um, and changing the focus of the class in a way that presents the content, math content, um, in a culturally relevant manner. Um, one of the things that really hadn't occurred to me was it's, um, even if the classroom doesn't seem 
ethnically um, diverse uh, in a way you might think of it, as long as the content is framed in a way that is aligned with their community values, it is relevant. Uh, for example, one of the groups that she talked about in the reading was um, a group of kids that live in a rural rural community. Um, so when she teaches area and perimeter, she's using examples set on farming settings um, because all the kids have some sort of connection to that in their community. So CRT is all about building relationships and communities between making connections between students and teachers and, you know, students and their peers. None of that was present or available um, in the Native American boarding school or schools of the segregated Mexican Americans in Santa Ana. Um, there is no way students can learn in an environment in which they are considered inferior. Um, and so to create that buy-in, it is empowering, again, to both teachers and students um, by framing the content in a way that resonates with them. And um, each of those three articles has strategies and examples of just how powerful CRT can be um, in math. And it's not as difficult as um, one might think. It requires a little bit of practice. And that's, again, another one of the commonalities that was seen throughout these articles is um, the teacher recognizing um, room for reflection and improvement. This was insightful um, and inspires you to include CRT methods in your classroom, whether it be social science, um, math, science or history um, and I think again it's especially important in an area like um, math or science where it's kind of deemed universal it's not universal to everyone um, and it's extra relevant to include you know culture into these um, lessons so again I, I hope you'll uh, reach out and um, seek out those resources and I hope that it was uh, interesting and insightful for everyone listening. Uh, thanks again. Sean Wheatley.